0: Listener Production. Rebecca De thank you for submitting to this involuntary interrogation.
1: It's been a while since I've been interrogated, so this is fun. Trust no
0: one. The level of sedition, anti-authority behaviour and advertiser unfriendly thought crime has reached record levels, especially amongst Australia's elites. Luckily, the men and men of The Chaser have been commissioned by Border Force to conduct interrogations and sort out the subversives from the Patriots. Betrayal. In conjunction with ASIO and the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Protocols, this is Extreme Vetting with The Chaser. The Chaser.
2: In the interrogation room, someone who's an expert in making stuff up. Oh, Angus Taylor. No, no, someone much better at it. It's a comedy legend who's appeared on shows like The Big Bite, Catherine Kim, Comedy Inc, and some rubbish called The Chasers' War on Everything. It's Rebecca Day in Amuno. Well,
0: what, what can she do for us, though? I mean, we already make up stuff at Border Force and the AFP.
2: That is true, but she was named Theatre Sports World Champion. People like the stories she makes up.
0: Well, then, I'll sharpen up some brand-new thumbscrews. Let's bet. <laughs> Now, let's start with your full name, please. Uh,
1: Rebecca Dayunamuno. That's it. There's not enough letters. I don't need any more.
2: What, what happened to your middle name? I
1: don't have one. I don't, it's bad enough. I can't get anyone to spell either of the names correctly. So a middle name would just only complicate things.
2: Do people ever think that Day is the middle name?
1: Yes, yeah, sometimes. I have oh to admit, I've been in Unamuno a lot. I've been a lot of things. Mm. I've, I've rarely Day in Unamuno.
0: Well, yes. According to your records, you have thousands and thousands of aliases. I
1: do. Yeah. I do. Heaps of aliases. Uh, I was known in high school as uh, Gooch. Uh, that was because uh, a friend of mine in high school couldn't pronounce my surname and said to my mum at one point Hi, Mrs. Dimucci Gucci. And that got shortened to gooch and then it became the gooch from Mm. different strokes and uh, it stuck. They still call me that to this day.
0: So you sort of reclaimed the sort of incipient racism of (laughs) your (laughs) classmates.
1: That's been my slogan for my life, reclaim the racism.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Lead in. Oh, God. Um, How old are you?
1: I'm 44.
0: I'm so sorry about that. No, no,
1: I seem to be 45.
0: And what is the worst thing? that you ever did as a kid?
1: Okay, the worst thing I ever did... Well, it varies. Um, say, Let's say the mildest thing I did, I'll give you that example and then I'll give you the extreme example. So okay. the mildest thing I ever did as a kid was my parents would say to me, Rebecca, either shut up or go to bed because I was prone <laughs> to talking all the time. So I would take myself off in a huff to bed and then I would start talking from the bed and singing from the bed. And my dad would say, I thought I told you to shut up. And I'd say, I don't have to. I went to bed. <laughs> um, so... <laughs>
0: What's <laughs> oh, the mildest? Thing. Uh, how, annoying. Was yeah, Oregon, <laughs> how annoying! I a lawyer. how annoying. That's the worst thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, for parents, I'm sure it is. And then, the worst thing I ever did. Um, I was. It was the summer holidays between year 11 and year 12, so I was like 16 years old, and a whole bunch of us. I hung out with a group of guys and girls, and we decided that uh, we were going to go drinking. Uh, in what the, original idea I want an original idea in the local primary school, which um, oh. happened to be two doors down from my house. <laughs> and uh, we were drinking the cheapest stuff you could buy, you know, that kind of thing, mm. and uh, yelling. We were singing. We were singing. And uh, next thing we know, these torches were being shone on us and uh, it was a bunch of police officers. And they said, uh, what are you doing? We could hear you yelling and screaming, to which I replied, uh, we were singing. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then they called for backup and uh, they brought paddy wagons, and we all got chucked into the back of a paddy wagon and uh, driven to a Parramatta police station and held there until our parents arrived to pick us up.
2: Oh my goodness. And when
1: my, my parents were the first to arrive, and when we left, apparently my friends said the police went, Oof, I'd hate to be her because the look on my dad's face <laughs> was enough. Hey, uh,
2: Charles, can I have a word with you actually? Yeah, sure. So, Rebecca is a world champion improviser. She makes stories up on the spot. Um, mm. She does that on stage for a full hour. Mm. How can we possibly know if any of this stuff is true? That's true. It might all just be a lie to confound us. Does it matter, though?
0: Well, I mean, it, it sort of goes to the fundamental question of what is true and
2: what is false. Oh, my God. That's so deep <laughs> for this podcast. Yeah. Um, well, I think though that could be really useful for us. I mean, the mm. making up stories thing. Yes. So we should definitely encourage her.
0: Yes. Oh, definitely. In fact, I think Dado might have a few uses for.
2: Oh, but yeah. he has no imagination. He could definitely use a Rebecca. Yep. All right, let's get back in there. Okay. Was
1: that true? You were in the paddy wagon. I was in the back of a paddy wagon. From a
2: primary school.
1: From Mm. a primary school. Two two doors down from my house So my parents had to come and
2: get me all the way from Parramatta. (laughs) That's (laughs) probably why your dad was so annoyed. He was so annoyed. (laughs) Like at least if you're going to get nicked just (laughs) go around the corner, yeah. Um, So you, evidently from your story about going to bed, um, you were A performer from a very early age. When were the first inklings that you really wanted to be on stage and do stuff?
1: Uh, Yeah, you're right. It was really, really young. From like, as soon as you could walk? I used to, yeah, I don't know about that part. I don't remember that bit. But apparently, um, I used to, my parents used to enjoy watching 60 Minutes every Sunday night. You know, we're talking the George Negus, Ray Martin years. And uh, apparently, I would stand alongside the television (laughs) and pretend to to be them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they not only had uh, the screen to watch, but I was providing the live physical commentary <laughs> of a serious Ray Martin uh, or George Negus investigation.
2: That is such a good comedy format, <laughs> by the way. It's just take really serious <laughs> news, like the horrible stories <laughs> get reported on 60 Minutes and then there's Becks just going...
1: I just like the dialogue side, like throwing my jacket over my shoulder. I did a lot of that. So, yeah, from a very early age, and I remember saying to my parents, they took me to the theatre. The very first show I saw... At about the age of six or seven, and I so love the fact that my parents took me to see this was Chicago the musical. You know that innocent story about women in prison <laughs> yeah. who've all killed their partners.
2: The most cynical musical <laughs> ever produced. Ever produced. That's great. And that was
1: my first introduction to the theatre. And I remember sitting and watching it, and just the whole live band and and all of that kind of stuff. And I just it when it ended and the audience applauded, I burst into tears. It was like I felt this physical, overwhelming need to have that happen to me. <laughs> and uh, I say I was a born attention seeker, so yeah. And I'd say to my parents, "I'm going to be, I'm going to be an actor." And my dad'd say, "There's not much money in acting." And I say, "No, I'll be a good one." Uh, Twenty six years later, mm. my dad was right. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> not well, much money. <laughs> so
2: there's an excellent thread of criminality coming through here. I mean, from you, the drinking and the getting arrested, yes. sort of thing to admiring the murderesses of Chicago. <laughs> this is all developing very, very well. And where did this actually take expression? When were you first on stage? Uh,
1: the first role I ever played was in year three in primary school at Winston Hills Primary School. I played a tea bag.
2: How does mm. that work?
1: I have no idea. I've been trying to remember what context <laughs> a child would be forced to dress up in a white garbage bag with a bit of wire and some string. <laughs> it's good no idea what we were doing. That was my very first performance. Yeah, uh, but
0: did you bring that character to life?
1: I so did. Yeah. I was very hot and then very cold <laughs> all at the same time. Um, did it
0: have an accent?
1: I don't think I had a line. No, you didn't
0: have a line. I think I, just, I think
1: I just jiggled up and down. <laughs> Hence my brilliant physical comedy since. Uh, so that was the very first time I got on stage and then it wasn't until I got to uni uh, that I actually sort of really Found what I loved. I uh, used to go to Manning Bar at Sydney Uni and watch these crazy people do this thing called theatre sports, which I had seen on TV um, when they used to film the Belvoir Street Theatre stuff. And I used to stand there and admire them greatly. And I had no friends in first year. Um, I just hung out on my own pretty much. I did a couple of plays with SUDS, the Drama Society, and then. I just kind of thought, I reckon I could do that. I started Mm. to then start to come up with my own responses. Oh, wow. And then I went, I reckon I could do this and then kept it all to myself. And it wasn't until a friend of mine said, "Uh, you should play. I was like, oh, no. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, even better. So I'd get on stage and uh, Adam Spencer was the host at the time and he'd say, you're going to be playing a subtitles. And I'd turn to my friend Dan and go, what's that? And he goes, speak in a funny language and I'll translate. And five, four, three. And so that's how I learnt. And that's when I just went, wow. So that was that was the real sort of boom
2: for me then. And at what point did you sort of think, actually, you know what, this is my thing. Like this is improvising is going to be my career?
1: Um, it was it was interesting because improvisers are so I always say that we were considered the we were never quite fitting into anything. We were the poorer cousins of stand-ups. That's how we were considered. And also we were like this weird anomaly to actors. And it's interesting how in the 20-something years since I've been doing improv, it's now completely changed. Mm. The respect level for it has gone through the roof. Particularly in Australia, I think it was a real um, sort of lesser art form. And it was when I did a Sydney Uni Grand Final, Julia Zemiro was uh, judging that year. Mm. She came up to me after the show and she said, "Um, I'm directing the new season at Belvoir Street Theatre of Theatre Sports. I want you to be in it. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, okay. And I admired her for, for ages and then I got on stage. And just from that, I started then getting, um, you know, corporate gigs and um, school shows. And so I was getting paid. I was getting paid to do the thing that I loved the most. I mean, this could be a career. And,
0: and who was in that first team that you had at Belvoir? The very
1: first team at Belvoir was um uh, Dan Lloyd. Uh, who excellent, uh, excellent improviser and Ben Von Willer uh, were my first two uh, teammates and then for the next three years it was uh, Dan Lloyd and um, I don't know if you've heard of him Um, it's a guy, his name's um, uh, Andrew O'Keefe
2: Oh, right. Yeah, I don't no, know what else he's done. Doesn't but, um, ring a bell. but Ben von Willer, he was a big <laughs> yeah, deal back wasn't in the day. He? <laughs> and Dan Lloyd, I think, is now a corporate lawyer. He and is a big. You, you need an improvising corporate lawyer. He's, <laughs> he's your man. Who's this? he's this? Uh, uh, O'Keefe? I don't know. Feefe.
1: I, mean, I always knew him as Beef. That's how everybody knew him. That was his nickname mm. when we were at uni. And uh, he, yeah, he was um, just super charismatic and charming and talented back then.
0: Yeah,
1: I hated him. No, I'm
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I had such a crush.
0: Yeah, he was good. <laughs> I mean, so did I. I found yeah, I, I, yeah. him very attractive. Yeah. You know, not normally my Performer's thing. Performer's a professional crush. So, professional okay. crush. so who was the wor- who's the worst improviser you've ever worked with?
1: <laughs> this is where I lie. Um, the worst improviser. Okay, we did a lot of celebrity theatre sports shows um, mm. at uh, at uh, the M. Theatre where we get celebrities to come and join us and I'd have to say out of that, the worst one was Renee Rivkin.
2: Oh, <laughs> say that because he's not around anymore. That's right. Yeah, Safe.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, what was the problem? Like,
0: so when you're working with a really bad improviser, yeah. what What are some of the things that they do That wrong? they do yeah. wrong?
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, the first rule of improv is always say yes. Mm-hmm. So anyone, when you say to them, let's go to the shops, they go, no. Well, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> The end of the scene.
2: It, <laughs> like, but I can imagine with Renee Rivkin, someone would have said, "Like, let's go to ASIC." No, no.
1: <laughs> let's donate our millions. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he sat. He sat on a seat with his um, worry beads, and just oh, wow. like with those. And he had um uh, like an assistant with him. but he He would
0: have. Been surrounded by yes men. you think you'd be totally, used to totally,
2: totally yes, yes men. So, yeah, yeah that,
1: that, that's what makes a bad improviser just not accepting any offer that anyone <laughs> makes. Uh, another one is those that panic, There are the panickers. And when they panic, and all they do is talk incessantly, like to cover the fact that they have no idea what they're doing, oh. and they start to become so wildly panicked, you're on stage with them going, I don't have any idea where we are and what we're doing right now. I've had a few of those moments.
0: Mm. But you've worked with some amazing people over the years, haven't you? I
1: have. I've been very what,
0: lucky. What are some of your favourite moments?
1: Okay. Uh, I've got two sort of standout moments that really like stick in my head. One is um, I was doing the scratch recording for Happy Feet 2 and that's that's where the, the cast, you, you know, people are cast to play the roles and we record it, the audio, and then after that the animators get the opportunity to animate around what we've done. And we'd been working on it for years and it was Gary Eck, uh, a fellow stand-up who was a co-writer of it and so he got me involved and I was cast in all these various roles and so for years and years and years we worked on it because every time there was a script change, we had to go back in and re-record, every time there was a character change or a character arc, you know, changed or whatever, we had to come back in and re-record stuff, names, everything changed. So it was probably about four or five years that we'd been working on it wow. prior to – because I was at the very first table read with George Miller and that's pretty exciting to be directed by George Miller. It's a Absolutely. pretty cool experience. And then uh, they said, oh, we're offering you a role. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so exciting. So you've got to come to you know the studios there at Fox Studios. And I had no idea that the international cast were coming to record as well.
2: Yeah, you and you think just, they would have just done it in the booth. Yeah, yeah. normally
1: just in that. that that's how they d- did the previous one apparently. They just recorded stuff in the States and mm. it's all mm. pieced together. But uh, they had them all there and it was this massive sound studio and they said, oh, come on in and meet the the, the cast. But prior to that I went to the toilet and I, it's a place I've done voiceovers in many times and I went, oh, it's all looking a bit fancy. <laughs> like they had lotions and stuff in the, <laughs> in the bathroom. They never give us this. And as I exited the bathroom, Hank Azaria walked past and I was like, um, hang on and then as he walked into the room I was about to walk into and when I got in there it was Hank Azaria, Elijah Wood and Robin Williams
2: He and really likes like a bathroom he Loved he a bathroom loves with the, fancy moisturisers. Loves the lotion
1: I <laughs> it <laughs> so but I was, I couldn't believe it like there was like oh my god like literally as far away as we are from each other there was Robin Williams and I got to sit and watch him work for three days and he was the most generous, beautiful, and he's an improviser. And that was just mm. to see someone that does the, the the best of what you try and do, was extraordinary. That was just amazing. And then at lunchtime, we had a conversation about Australian politics over at the catering table. Like he was very low key, but when you put him in front of that mic, and George Miller kind of conducts like a, a like a conductor when he's directing everybody, and he turned to us and say. What's, a, what's another line we could put there? Something. What's a word that we could throw in? And you were able to just suggest stuff. And being the improviser he is, Robin Williams would just run with it. So he was actually testing some of your material and stuff. And then a lot of the guys that were from the States were comics. And so we all got them gigs at various rooms around Sydney. And Elijah Wood came to every single gig. And there I am at the Coogee Rugby Club. Saying and him saying, "No, no, it's my shout." <laughs> so he goes to the goes to the bar, and then one one gig uh, at Sugar Mill in the Cross. Um, Robin decided to get up um, in the middle of one of the other comedians' routines, and he just started uh, sort of heckling, joyfully heckling.
2: How does that go if you're a performer on stage and? Other people have been going uninterrupted and it's your set that Robin Williams decides. I do <laughs> Is that insulting or is that <laughs> awesome? It, I
1: reckon it's awesome. And what was mm. great, it was a guy called Jeff Garcia, who's a really well-known comic in the States, and he actually just went, ladies and gentlemen, Robin Williams, and just gave up his time. And he got up there and did an improvised set of probably about 20 minutes wow. to a room full of maybe 100 people. Wow. So that was one really amazing one. And the other one was I got the opportunity to tour three times with uh, Jason Alexander, who is uh, George from Seinfeld. And uh, we improvised together every night on stage. And by the third tour, we'd become really, really good friends. I call him my brother from another mother. He calls me his sister from another mister. And um, (laughs) that year he said, oh, I've got an idea. I was like, okay. He'd brought out a pianist with him. And he said, uh, why don't we improvise a musical every night and my head exploded not literally but figuratively because i was like the two things i love the most musical improv and like working with you so every night we improvised a broadway musical with his pianist and i'm doing this with a tony award winning broadway star and it, in the biggest theaters in the country and it was just great and um i'll never never Forget that. And he taught me a lot. He taught me that what I do should be really respected. He himself mm. isn't a, a big improviser, but he said, what you do deserves more respect and it's not getting it. And he was really sort of imposed that on the rest of the cast in a way that they needed to sort of, I don't know, just kind of.
0: And do you think that that's a problem peculiar to Australia that that we don't value?
1: I, th- I do. I, I don't think we value performance as greatly it's not as revered as, say, other countries. Like in the States, you know, like hey, everybody knows they're Broadway stars, but yeah. here people might struggle to know who's in a, a, the latest musical opening up at the the Capitol or whatever. Mm.
2: But also in the States, um, when you hear about, you know, these people who do late-night shows, the biggest comedians that they have, they've almost all gone through improv. They've done time Absolutely. at Second City or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so if I, if I were to
1: mention names like, you know, Stephen Colbert started out Second City, mm. he was in the touring company, then became main stage, you know, the, Steve Carell, uh, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, they all began and they all have very similar sort of trajectories. I'm still waiting for my late night talk show. <laughs> Keep pitching it, no mm. one wants it. Uh, and so, yeah, so they all start from that. But I just don't think, well, yeah, Australia, it took them a while to figure it out because I think we're cynical by nature. So every time I do a show in Australia that's improvised, people say to me afterwards, there's, I always get asked the question at least once. Was that really improvised? Mm, yes. There's always that question. And my answer to that is, do you think if I'd rehearsed it for weeks at a time, it would be a, a this bad?
2: <laughs>
1: there are moments where I struggle.
2: <laughs> I've been to your um, shows. I've seen a, I actually went twice just to see how different it was. It genuinely is. Mean, not that I doubted you, but I just wanted to see your brain work kind yeah. of thing. It, and, it, and they go for an hour. Yeah, let's mm. be clear. So you take a couple of characters from the audience and a, a setting and so on. And I'm just fascinated to know, have you ever been in an experience where kind of 20 minutes into the hour you're kind of like, okay, these ideas were terrible and (laughs) stuck. all the time,
1: all the time. And what do you do? Well, because the idea, the premise is that that these three characters are very separate individuals and by the end all three stories somehow meld, right? Mm. Sometimes that can happen, I can discover that in, in like the first five minutes. Other times it takes me right up until I see the light that's telling me there's five minutes to go to make that happen. But there are, there are some that I have done. Like I, I've, I choose a voice. Like I might do, oh, I'm going to play an old man and speak like this. That's fine for five minutes. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you
1: get to the 25th minute, you're like, I don't know if I can. So I killed him off. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I oh, just wonder if you've ever had to, like, the, the point where they meet is that they all just yeah, wander into a place that he, blows up.
1: He was really old. I'd established that early on. So he just, he just died at the 25th minute. So for the rest of the show, I played the younger version of him, reminiscing. <laughs> Oh yeah. And there's some characters I just go, God, I hate
0: this character.
1: I hate you. You are just vile on every level. Like why am I, how am I doing that? But that's the beauty of it is the freedom that you get in being able to create a loathsome character. Like, you know, if you were writing that, it would be less likely that you'd smull it over and go, I'm going to play someone really hideous.
2: Now, speaking of loathsome characters, (laughs) uh, we've been retained. I mean, this is the only job that we could get from Mm. the chaser, as is probably clear, uh, working for Border Force and the AFP. Mm -hmm. Peter Dutton needs a new origin story, Rebecca. Um, (laughs) The one that he actually has, it has not gone well. He hasn't become Prime Minister. People didn't vote for him and he, he can't count. Is very unfortunate. Mm. So he needs a new narrative. Okay. What can we do? What what situation can we like backstory? Okay. Like a Bruce Wayne moment with the parents, or maybe he gets bitten by a radioactive spider or a potato. Um, what, what do you think? It was
1: it was it was the time before anything on Earth existed, um, mm. and this one it was it was kind of like a, a slug like creature just emerged from a from the the mud mm. as it were, and uh, and laid an egg. And a tiny, tiny little thing, tiny thing, because it was right at the beginning of the dawn of time, laid this egg. And uh, eventually, you know, um, through the slug making its way through the mud and everything, you know, that's where nature was created. Uh, And then several hundreds of thousands of years later, that egg finally hatched and uh, the parents called him Peter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and in those first few moments of the egg hatching, I mean, did, did the did the creature emerge fully formed? What did it sound like?
1: Yeah, he came out speaking bullshit <laughs> from day one. It just emerged fully formed, ideas fully formed. Uh, Is there but, a
2: voice that this creature oh, might have well, had?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, I'm, I don't know <laughs> if I can do. Can I do Peter Dutton? I mean, that's kind of him, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: that's Peter yeah, Dutton. Yeah,
1: yeah. but uh, everyone else's voice was pretty much this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That was just their reaction. (laughs) Um,
2: I like the story. I'm not sure it's going to work for our purposes. (laughs) Uh, It's probably close to the truth, in fact. Charles, can we just take a moment?
0: Yeah, let's just...
2: uh... How did she know about the egg? She she knows the the actual true story. She must be a mole. This is awkward. This is... We can't. We've got to squash this story. Yeah, that's right. What can we do? Can we make well, her a better offer?
0: Well, no, I think what we do is we detain her indefinitely for the rest of her life. That's what Dado, Dado would want. Yeah, that
2: could work. Is there any, any way we can make use
0: I mean, of Luke, these skills? We're not going to be able to stop her from speaking, are we?
2: It sounds like that's impossible.
0: So we, have to, we actually have to get her on our side, don't we? Oh, we may have to. Because yeah, yeah, okay. she'd be
2: audible even if we just shut her in Nauru. It'd be like it yeah. to bed.
0: She'd just send it to bed in Nauru, and she'd still talk. Maybe um, she
2: could help us spin. Yes. Yeah. Let's give. Let's give. Yeah. Her okay. Advice. Like, right.
0: do a rebrand of the border force and yeah. AFP.
2: Yeah. 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 She might be. I mean, she no. could be. She could be very helpful. Yeah. Just because she thinks fast on the spot. That's Yeah. The thing. All right. Okay. <laughs> Now, Rebecca, um, yeah. I'm just wondering. We occasionally hear between Border Force and the AFP, people misunderstand what we're trying to do, and mm. yeah, it's they probably they think they think we're bastards. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's crazy. I get it. I get it. They yeah, don't say they don't say yes and. No, yeah. they say no. They're they say like no. Yeah. like Akmal. Like
0: you say, oh look, <laughs> I've got a taser here. Would you like me to put it on your hand? They, they, all, no? they always say no. No,
1: oh, that's yeah. just ridiculous. Or just or, here, or. I'll
0: show you. Yep. Here, do you want this taser? Yes and. <laughs>
1: Oh, ha, 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 ha. Oh, no, that actually felt great. See, you never know till you try.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's our point. That's what we're trying to get yeah. across. But also, like, if we walk into the ABC mm. and say, hi, we're the federal police, we're raiding your computers and, and uh, impounding all this stuff and we might charge your staff, mm. they don't say yes and, they say this is a problem, we're not happy with this, we're going to mm. complain. We're mm. going to get an injunction from the court. Yeah. How can we turn this around?
1: Okay, I think you need sexy Ooh, sexy sells, yeah. yeah That's what everyone in advertising always says. You know that you've just got to make things appealing to you know
0: and Peter to people's Dut-
1: sensitive side. And Peter
0: Dutton's pretty sexy, yeah. So he could sexy. be like the face. I of- think so.
1: And I'm thinking some late night ads. Oh, just you know some uh, some you know ads of you know with the soft filter.
2: How would they go? So border force late night ad or maybe the ASP? How can mm. we sell okay.
1: That? it? Okay, this would be an ad for the upcoming program because uh, mm. it'll be late night live with. Dutton.
2: And <laughs> Rebecca <laughs> Day <D'Amuno> the <at> Last. <laughs> yeah. A little
1: something like this. <laughs> Have you had a long, hard, tiresome day? Then you need to spend time with the one guy who knows exactly how to interrogate you. I'm talking about the sleek-headed, long-limbed, sally jawed man who knows how to spin a line until it makes no sense. He's sitting, he's wailing, he's Dutton, dressed as (laughs) mutton. Late night Dutton, where you can get interrogated over and over and over again. You won't want him to stop.
2: I mean, I felt that right in my potato. And seeing... (laughs) That was excellent. I I think there's something in that.
1: That's one version. Just don't let him speak. He's not allowed Mm. to speak
2: during those ads. Could you um, perhaps provide his voice? I mean, what I'm imagining (laughs) is you remember that we talked to Denton about uh, David Tench tonight, the digital character, Mm. with someone else doing the voice. What if Rebecca was the voice of Dado, like in Parliament... Giving press conferences,
1: man. Imagine what I oh, he'd be a changed
0: man, is what he'd be. Well, Peter Dutton really likes racial stereotypes. Okay, he does. But you could do a a whole range of different. I could just do
1: a whole bunch of accents. Yes, and do it all within a minute. Yeah. Yeah, there's a theatre Sports game that's called um, Accent Roller Coaster, and we eventually ended up calling it Stereotype in a minute.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, he would enjoy that, actually.
1: He'd love it. I'm he's probably be his favourite thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd happily do that. I could do that. And it's always fun. I used to do a thing, um, a live thing, where we would dub old instructional videos from the, like, the 1950s mm. and we'd dub them over. There is nothing more fun than planting words in someone else's mouth. Well, the 1950s, said, that's well. Dutton's best. Well, era. that's, yeah, I'm mm. thinking. That's, you know, I changed myself to a kitchen was great.
2: So this sounds incredible. This is an amazing opportunity. I mean, look, other improvisers <laughs> win awards. You would win elections. You'd be the Prime Minister.
1: It's getting that way, that there's something drastic has to happen, doesn't it? Isn't this what we need?
0: Yeah, look, I think so. And just one thing, though, um, Peter Dutton also needs help with his maths. Do you, oh. do you know how to add up?
1: I am so bad at <laughs> maths. Was is my worst subject at school. You can't
0: be worse than him.
1: Oh, man. I don't know. I used to go to flip to the back of the book to get the answers, you know, and you just have to do those exercises. I'd flip to the back of it. I cheated all the time. And maths did not count in my top 10 units for my uh, HSC. I was All right,
2: Charles. Someone else, okay. someone else does the counting. Someone else the Very
1: bad. Yep.
2: Uh, Rebecca Danimino, welcome to the role of Peter Dutton. You'll be here for a while.
1: Oh, jeez. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much.
2: And thank you for joining us on Extreme Vetting.
1: It's been a pleasure. I feel somewhat powerful now and like I want to abuse it.
2: Extreme Vetting with The Chaser was written and presented by Dom Knight, Charles Firth and Andrew Hanson. Produced by Alex Mitchell and audio production by Darcy Thompson. For all episodes, search Extreme Vetting Podcast.
0: Listener